Welcome to episode 107 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbule, and today my special guest is none other than the degenerate weatherman himself, Marshall Sterling. Me and Marshall go over four races from this past Saturday at Saratoga, where Marshall joined me at the wonderful place in Saratoga Springs. We go over races 1, 5, 8, and 11. And some angles that we talk about are how Sire stats and just keeping overall stats in TRL races matter the most, why visualizing how a race will be run, and maybe Spencer's proven loser angle isn't as good as he thinks it is. We also talk about Marshall's overall trip to Saratoga, and we deep dive some more jockey and trainer stats. This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest. He is finally back from his trek over to the east side. He is Marshall Sterling out in the wonderfulness of his backyard in Minnesota. Marshall, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, you know, obviously 4,000 miles in a vehicle is always an interesting trek, but uh, happy to be home and uh, happy to uh, review some of these races. Let's kind of talk overall about your whole experience going into Saratoga. Uh, obviously, it was only, I believe, your third track. You've been to uh, the Belmont for Pharaoh, which obviously is an experience all in itself. And then mostly you're over at Canterbury. This is your third track, I believe, correct? That is correct. Yep. What uh, little, a couple differences, obviously, I'm guessing, is it wasn't as crowded as it was that Saturday uh, at Belmont. And what did you just enjoy overall about the uh, the time you had over here at Saratoga? Well, obviously, um, being at the Belmont Stakes that America Farrell won for the Triple Crown, you know, there was about a hundred, a little bit less than a hundred thousand more people. So it was definitely a very different experience. Uh, but um, overall, um, I, I find Saratoga much more pleasant to be at. You know, obviously Belmont being a much larger track, uh, it, it, the sight lines are a little bit more difficult. But at the same time, with Saratoga, it's more about friends and camaraderie and family than it is the racing itself especially when you're on track you know it's it's a very different experience where a lot of people are are more about just like hanging out especially in the backyard right being able to bring your own drinks and your own food is a very very different experience when it comes to a racetrack overall but just being there and and being able to meet people and and you know, being able to just walk around and enjoy the races where, you know, where I, I feel most tracks are more, certainly more focused towards handicapping and, and winning, you know, winning is great, but it's, it's definitely a, a very different experience when it doesn't matter who wins as long as someone, you know, is winning and, and you're happy about that. So, um, you know, I found, I found the experience uh, certainly much different than what I would at uh, any other track that I've been to. I think too, and I just the way you said it, it's even if you lose the race, it hurts. But as long as someone around you is fist pumping, it, you almost just kind of feel it through that person, like you're living angelically. It's like, 
okay, I, I lost that race, but at least one of my friends is, you know, at least doing something right here at the racetrack today. Yeah, exactly. It's it, again, it's more about the, your being with your friends and, and family and, and just the camaraderie about just being all together uh, with horse racing in mind. It, it, that's what the, the feeling is. It's, it's definitely a much different feeling than, than other racetracks where gambling does feel like it's the focus for sure. I think so too. And just from my point of view, when I go, I, I not that like, obviously at the OTB, they have, they have winners as well. I feel like at Saratoga, when I sit down with certain groups, I just feel like my handicapping and betting is just improved just from the people I'm around because everyone here is just such a solid, solid handicapper. Yeah, exactly. And, and, it's more about sharing ideas and, and, you know, being able to go over the races with, with people and discussing it and in not being the, Oh my gosh, my opinion is the end all be all. It's more about the fact that, you know, we're all kind of combining ideas to get to the same exact, um, the same exact point. And, and that's where, you know, the, I, you know, I feel like the experience that I had at Saratoga is kind of going to be a, you know, a little bit different than most people's where, you know, I was able to, to, um, meet so many people that, you know, I was able to meet through Twitter and then, you know, being able to, uh, go into the paddock and, and see some of the, the fine, you know, equine athletes, it was, it was really good to, to be able to have that experience and you know um shout out to uh at it's eddie c um for his for his uh, absolute um professionalism and and um just being able to you know help guide us through our experience and and be able to uh to really provide um you know, a really a top class experience at Saratoga. I mean, um, you know, also shout out to the Slack Pack as well for for a lot of that as well. I think too, and just you know, for me, usually the last couple of years I've worked up there, but you know, a couple of times this year, you know, I've, I've been hanging out with PTF up at the secret spot. But this this time around, we were kind of right out behind the uh, the Hall of Fame there with a group of us, and it just brought me back to my childhood. You know, usually me and my dad would sit in the grandstand, but if I went with my with my mom. And a couple of other people, they'd want to sit in the backyard and get that camaraderie and kind of just brought it all back. Just hearing, you know, you look at that TV screen and at the OTB, it's, you know, it's you and 20 people here. It's you and a thousand people hoping that your horse can edge out the other horse. It's just it's a feeling. And I, I say it really from the bottom of my heart. It's my second home. And it's a place where if I've had a real shit week at work or whatever, and I can just go there. I don't care if I go 0 for 10. It sucks. But I am much more happy doing that than I am really doing anything else in this world. Yeah, the back, again, the, the backyard is is such a different place, and it, it's especially to it being, you know, Saratoga being the only track that has an, an experience where you have the backyard, where you're able to bring a cooler in, you're able to bring some, some chairs, you're able to watch the races. Um, it's just, it's a very different experience, and and it's just a very different vibe when it comes to a racetrack because of that experience and being able to do that. And, you know, I, I certainly do hope that uh, that Saratoga continues to, uh, to to really pride themselves on that and to, to really keep it 
that uh, more of an experience level sort of thing. So no, it, it was, it was an amazing experience. Um, not only watching the races and being in the paddock, but, you know, obviously watching training on the backstretch, it was, it was definitely a very, uh, very memorable experience that I'm sure that my wife and I, and our friends from Michigan, shout out Cody and Alex, that, uh, that we will return to Saratoga yearly because of the experience that we had um, the first time. Super happy that you had such a good experience, uh, not just with me, but with everyone else up there. Let's not yet jump into the races, but uh, obviously, you know, me as a big time stat guy going through, I did kind of the the new weekly stats for the jocks and for the trainers. Is there anything that you just coming off the top of your head without even looking at stats that you're just uh, that you think has been going well for either type of connection so far at the meet? Well, I really think, you know, Jose, Ortiz has been um, a man with his pants on fire. He's, he's been really, really good. Um, obviously, Luis Saez is continuing his Saratoga meet from last year where he's been on fire. Um, and, and those two jockeys have been, have been uh, in my eyes, uh, uh, light years above the rest of the crowd. Um, as far as trainers are concerned, you know, your, your typical Steve Asmussen two-year-olds um, have been doing really well. And, and also, uh, Mike Maker, I mean, he's continuing uh, some of his really good meets over the over the past couple of years where, you know, I feel like it doesn't matter what surface Mike Maker is on. You really got to do a double look um, uh, at, at his horses moving forward. It, it really is amazing, like, just looking through uh... – Jose and Louis are the only two two jocks that are twenty percent winners, fifty percent in the money. Jose Ortiz, I, I counted him up just to make double darn sure. Uh, ten ten dollar winners in the last two weeks, which is just absolutely incredible for someone who's in the top three in the jock standings. And wow. I mean, he's hitting at twenty percent for both surfaces, which I think is incredible. Obviously, Irad doing the normal stuff, twenty uh, percent on turf too, which I think is very interesting for people who. He's an absolute top rider, but I mean, 20% on the turf to me was just very interesting to look at. You know, you, you look down the board, Joel had a great uh, Sunday there to kind of get get back into the swing of things with a three-bagger there. Ricardo Santana, I mean, the, the major thing for me with him is 0 for 21 on turf, and I think you'll notice the same for Aspies. I think he's only 0 for 5 on turf, but just the fact that I'm just looking at him now mostly, that being Ricardo for dirt and for sprinting. It, it's kind of almost the same you know, he's the main guy I look at for dirt sprints right now at the meet. Whereas someone, you know, Javier Castellano, he's, I think, one for 22 in routes right now. Like, he is just, there's certain people right now that are just cold or someone that's really bad just on one surface. And, I mean, if you can toss all the Ricardo Santana or stats like that, where he is a top 10 rider, but he's still taking some money on the turf, I mean, you can kind of find some extra value there on the turf for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, too, that part of Ricardo's stats is that he rides first out for Steve Asmussen, and Steve Asmussen has been really cold on the turf. Um, and, and that's certainly something to look out for, because I know going into Saratoga, um, Steve Asmussen was doing just fine on the turf. So, um, you know, maybe something where we're, we're going to have to start looking for as Newsom and, and Santana, maybe towards the later half of, of the season versus the beginning half. Um, you know, there's something else to note is that, you know, I, I don't think Clement has had, Christophe Clement as a trainer hasn't had 
that great of a beginning to the meet, certainly not compared to last year. And that may be something where, you know, towards the later half of the year, him and Joel Rosario, once they start teaming up and start rolling, they may be something very interesting moving forward. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously, it's pretty early in the meet and things will obviously change. You know, the other thing with the track is I think that the dirt has been pretty speed favoring as of now, especially considering all the rain that we've had. You know, a lot of cards have been either off the turf or have been um, uh, kind of discombobulated because of rain. So that's definitely something to keep an eye out for moving forward. You know, obviously, um, me being a meteorologist, this week looks great as far as rain is concerned. It doesn't look like rain will impact any of the cards until Sunday. Um, So hopefully we can get, you know, a good week's worth of dry weather uh before we we start to hit some rain but you know it's it's definitely something to keep an eye out for and you know obviously with the weather and and how much it's impacted the season so far uh, you know things are going to change from a card to card basis so i wouldn't get too stuck in to any sort of track biases whether it's you know a closing or a gold rail or a speed bias you know, every track's and every day is going to be very different for for how they groom the track and, and especially with how much rain they've had, they're having to constantly change the track, which will um, not only make betters, but speed figure makers go crazy. I mean, obviously, the only day I'm going up this weekend is Sunday. So I guess boohoo for me. Also, shout out PTF for your for your birthday coming up this week. Looking forward to hanging out with you that day and, you know, trying to find some winners that day. I think overall, too, when you bring up the weather, I really don't mind rainy days as much as the next person. I, I think that me and Matt Fagvolgi, he dropped a stat last uh, last week that kind of vindicates what I've been saying year in, year out. If you play MTOs at Saratoga over the last, I think it's five years, it might be shorter, they have a positive ROI when you play them. I don't know why this is, and only at Saratoga, how just people forget that an MTO is meant for the dirt, and they go off at 5-6-1 to one for predominant dirt trainers like Diodoro and Atris, and then they win by seven, and then everyone's like, oh, I got knocked out of the pick five by this horse. I think that, especially for, I, this is why I look forward to those days. You know, I make sure I get all the information I could possibly get on these MTOs, and, you know, every once in a while, sure, they do they do lose, but they're mostly losing at two to five and even money, and then those four to one, six to one sneak through, and it's just, it's a way to really keep the bankroll growing. But I, I do agree with you from a weather standpoint. It's kind of been wishy-washy and you know sunny one day and rainy the next so it's kind of been hard to get i think a good rhythm as a handicapper and a better in general yeah no doubt and in you know following up on your point you know it it really does make a difference if you do all your homework right um uh, do not get outworked when it comes to handicapping if you are you're getting you're you're literally throwing money away you know um make sure that you're looking at 14, 15, 16, uh, 17, 18, 19, 20, depending on how many horses have, have entered for these races. Make sure you are doing your homework about every horse because you never know when, you know, the number 16, 17, or 18 horse all of a sudden slides in. And I can't tell you how many times those horses slide in without anybody noticing. And because those horses have gone forgotten, 
you're going to get an inflated price on those horses. So make sure that you're paying attention to that. What do you say we get started with these races we have picked out today? Obviously, they are going to be from Saturday when we, me and you were up there together. We're going to start off with the opener, which I thought was a super interesting race. It is a maiden special weight. 100,000 is the purse. Five and a half on the dirt for two-year-olds. What would you like in this race, Marshall? Yeah, so in this first race, my my very top pick was the six wood line. You know, um, uh, again, in the preamble, I, I really liked David Asmussen and Ricardo Santana for these two-year-old um, dirt races. Um, you know, I thought that, you know, the first race on a, on a sloppy track and also going from Tim Ham to Steve Asmussen, um, right after I felt like Steve may have needed a little more time to be able to understand the horse. So I, I really didn't hold that last race, um, uh, against him. I really thought that maybe with not only the, the workouts, but also with that race that maybe as Musen had kind of figured the horse out a little bit better, um, the horse showed speed last time out, which with two-year-olds, I am all for. And I really felt that um, as far as the other first-time starters in this race, I wasn't super enamored with them, right? So obviously the number one life is great, was on a fast pace last time out and faded late with Jose Lescano and Bob Caceres. Um, Caceres numbers are worse second time out than first time out. Um, so I really didn't want anything to do with that horse. Um, and, and, you know, looking at the first time starters after that, you know, HP moon, the number seven, um, Gabby got uh, oh boy, Lacey got that, not Gabby. Lacey got that was three for 21 the last three years, 14%. I know that the DRF stat at the bottom of the page says that she's seven for 31 the last five years with a positive ROI. But when you start refining it to the last three years and even the last year, not only does the ROI become negative, but her percentage continues to drop. Um, you know, looking at the workouts for HP Moon, they were fine. Um, but, I, you know, that was not something that I really wanted. Um, my second choice in the race was Master Game, which was the Todd Fletcher, Corrado Keys horse. I wasn't super enamored with the workouts. Ultimately, um, you know, I, uh, I, the, the workouts were slightly confusing, you know, going, uh, going from that five furlong, um, workout on July 11th, which was one Oh two and four. I thought that was really slow. Um, and, and overall, I think the workouts were very slow and the pedigree doesn't necessarily suggest that the horse even wanted dirt sprints. So, um, you know, I, I wasn't super enamored with that horse either. Um, you know, looking elsewhere, um, the three was semi-interesting, you know, um, considering that the, the horse had been working with Pipeline Girl um, and apparently had looked best in company with that horse. But the, again, the workouts weren't, you know, super impressive. They, you know, they were, they were pretty slow. There wasn't anything that really popped out at me. I thought they were just average and distorted humor as a sire first time out, isn't what I would consider to be a very, you know, super precocious sire. So, um, for me, you know, I, it was one of those things where I had, uh, I had landed on a horse that I 
liked that I disliked the least, um, which was the number six for mine. I think too. And, and we definitely have differing opinions in this race. Uh, for me, this is a race that I, I wanted to play and play heavily. When you don't like the top choice, it's good. When you don't like the top two, it gets even better. I think Master Game going off as the favorite. Obviously, we have the 12X different in the sire price compared to when they sold at auction. And I just think overall, this one did have the two best workouts. I thought the 102 and 4 was you know slow, as you said, but then to go down to that minute flat was okay. But just overall, the Sire's 0 for 11 as a two-year-old first-time starter. I get it. Small sample size. I don't want to play horses at sub 2-1 to one with, with, you know, I think 10 starts was enough for me at that point. When you just look through, the the family has never run a two-year-old. The top sib was Grit and Curiosity. 200,000 was a grade two-placed horse in turf sprinting. The other sib was 0 for 8 lifetime. That, to me, does not scream, you know, sub almost even money, go to the window. So I was like, okay, yeah. I don't want this one. So then I look over at Woodline. You know me. I'm a big buyer par guy. We don't run to the buyer part. Not only that, but I really made sure to go through, and like you said, don't get outworked and took some notes for this race. Out of that last Churchill Downs race, uh, one horse and one horse out of the six who have come back either ran, won or ran second, and the one winner was the seventh-place horse who shipped to Indiana and stretched out to win with a 58 buyer. Okay, that's not really – I get it. The horse showed speed. We all know that this is definitely Asmussen and Santana's bread and butter. If it beats me, it beats me. Especially the fact that this horse also took money last time was almost two to one. Was pretty much two to one, and lost by four. And I think when you lose by less than three and you're a short price, you're not really putting the world on fire. So we look at the rest of the field. I didn't really want hoist the gold for Dallas Stewart. He seems to me just one that would come underneath. Moving pictures, Jose, like I've been saying, you have to put this horse somewhere. Solid debut, Siren Mohamed, 28%, with just 14 starters as, as a two-year-old first-time starter. I ended up on Kevin's Folly. I'm, the workouts were were flat minutes and 48s and just good. Tom has already gotten one across the wire for me at this meet, so that's always adding to the confidence level. And then when you just look overall, the top two sibs have both won over 100,000. The Sire's a 16% two-year first-time starter. His best, he's 17% dirt sprinting. These are all above averages for Sires. So I just know that with distorted humor, I thought this horse wanted to go on the dirt, sprinting. The damn Sire won on debut. Other horse was a 4X undefeated and won as far as a mile and, a, a mile and an eighth. For the family, they were three for four in the exact interior races. I just thought that showed a little bit of precocity, and I thought this horse would get completely, completely just forgotten about with other horses in the race, like we had said. Ended up going off at seven to one. So, you know, fourth choice in a race that I thought was ripe for a long shot for me. It was the number three, Kevin's Folly for Marshall. It was the number six, Woodline. Let's see who can break their maiden here in the opener at Saratoga right now. Off and master game. Came away to a good start. Master Game is in front early. Then it's Kevin's Folly, Woodline, and Jakovic on the outside. Then a break of four lengths back to the two trailers. Hoist the gold and moving pictures. It is the favored firster, Master Game, who leads here by three quarters of a length. Jakovic runs in second. And then it is Kevin's Folly next and third. Now making a move there on the outside is Woodline along with Hoist the Gold. 
Woodline and Hoist the Gold going up after Master Game. So it's three of them heads apart for the lead. The quarter went in 22 and 3. They are at the top of the stretch. Here is Hoist the Gold way out in the track. The leader here is still Master Game. Woodline is on the outside as Kevin's Folly looks to rally down at the rail. And now they're at the eighth pole. Here comes Kevin's Folly up the inside to take over. Master Game is back running in second. And Kevin's Folly will win his debut in the opener on a Saturday at Saratoga. The number three, Kevin's Folly, gets the W. 1640 was the winning mutual. 68 was the winning buyer so it comes back weak on the buyer scale obviously it feels good to find that nice longer priced horse uh i forgot to mention the other horse i actually did dutch in this race was the number four moving pictures with the mo uh mohaman good sire stat i, I think too when just watching back that that race woodline and the, the six and the five just going very very wide in the far turn i mean it's it's hard enough for two-year-olds to win you know, making one move. These guys are making multiple moves into the race. So I thought it was just a little bit tough for them. I think Woodline declined the buyer a little bit down to a 55 might be even a little bit interesting coming back next time out. Although I would like to see a drop in class, I think. Uh, for me, Woodline, I, I would like to see a break. Um, obviously three, three races here. Um, I feel like we know what this gun runner Colt is. And, you know, I, I, I think that maybe a little bit of, of you know fooling kind of fall into his lap but i but i also think that master game or that kevin's folly really excels Stewart is never uh, a good angle he he loves to race his horses into fitness and not only that but loves to get some racing experience into him so you know as long as dream team i guess officially just listening to Beck this morning i guess the uh they didn't like the markings on this horse and there's you know we're going, we're moving away from the lip tattoos and going to, you know, more of the technology side, but there's still some weird stuff going on with that. I, I think that, I mean, it obviously sucks for connections, sucks for Lacey to just have a horse go there. And I guess I know this, that they check him in the morning as well. So I don't know, I don't know where the excuse is and where they just mess up, you know, going from one side to the other, but obviously sad not to see this runner go. This was kind of the dark horse. I'm very excited to see this horse come back. Hopefully it's in New York. But, I mean, if it comes back riding over in Delaware with all those bullets, I mean, look out for this one. Yeah, HP Moon was definitely – there was a lot of confusion, not only uh, going into the gate, but uh, afterwards, you know, there, there was a lot of Twitter scuttlebutt and, and definitely a lot of um, uh, different reports coming out about this horse as far as, you know, did they even ship the right horse? Did they, um, did they just, you know, did the person who was scanning it just – you know, proceed on the side of caution and said, no. Um, but uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure that Lacey will come out here in the not distant future and, and address that issue. Cause, um, if, if she really did ship the wrong horse and obviously that's, um, that's a bigger problem than just, uh, oops, my bad. Let's move on to race number five and state bread and one X allowance, six furlongs on the dirt, 78 to a 73 for me as the buyer par what would you like in here marshall yeah so this was really the race that that i felt that i i had the best handle on for the day um and, and in talking with uh a few others during the race card um you know um at thorough picks and at Matt um was it at blinkers on for matt Bay Wolgy? at blinkers on Both 22 of, yeah let's go um 
those two guys and myself really, really like the number five honey money coming into this race for Wayne Potts. You know, looking at the the last effort, um, you know, I can I can definitely draw a line through that race. You know, central bankers aren't necessarily the biggest fan of a wet surface. And looking at this horse's past, you know, the, the horse has really never handled a wet surface that well. And then looking at the last three efforts um, at the speed figures, not only at Finger Lakes, but at Belmont, um, those all of those figures really do fit when it, com- when it came to this race. And I really felt like when it came to... Um, when it came to this race, not only was there, um, you know, almost a lack of speed, but I really wanted someone that, that could stock and pounce. You know, that was, that was something that I really, um, going through the card, especially in the dirt, you know, I really wanted someone who uh, was going to be up near the lead and, and that could really take advantage of that. And for me, that was the number five honey money. I mean, obviously having Ortiz, Jose Ortiz in the saddle too, does not hurt in the least bit. Um, and so for me, number five, Honey Money was a horse that I not only singled, but um, um, definitely used in all exotics. Definitely a tough race for me overall. Just some of the horses uh, in allowance races, I'm looking to see who are the proven losers are who have tried this level a bunch. Uh, the number three, Beautiful Karen for Irad and Linda, your horse, the five honey money. I get it. Trust me. Just the proven loser angle. When, when these types win, I can almost just completely toss out almost entire fields, which makes it a lot easier when these proven losers win. I ended up on chains, pretty lady for junior Alvarado and Tom Morley. It was ob- to, a little bit of a negative trainer change. Obviously when you go from Todd Pletcher to, to, to Morley, I thought the turn back would be a positive. And out of the last race, uh, there was one winner, the show horse turned back, to five and a half and won a money state bread allowance. It was with a declining buyer, but I just thought that when you looked back earlier on, Cancel was getting this horse into some good spots. And overall, I just thought that maybe this one might be a little bit interesting. The other one I also liked was the number eight out first, James Ryerson for Jose Lescano. The race two back for me, I thought fit really nicely in here with a nice third. And there was one winner coming out of the last race. And it was uh, the horses were two for five. The place stretched out at the same level, running a 70 buyer. Fifth just missed in a money off the turf event, running second. I thought this race overall, I just didn't want the proven losers. So I kind of ended up on the outside horses that I just kind of thought had a good shot. That being the number seven, Shane Pretty Lady, or Shane's Pretty Lady, and number eight out first. Let's see who can get their N1X allowance right here at the spa right now. And they're off. Beautiful Karen is right out for the early lead. And now moving up is Honey Money. Down on the inside is Kali Magic, who is racing in third. And it's a break of two lengths to uh, behind the couch in fourth. On her outside is uh, Chasing Kara, who has moved up a spot. It's a break of uh, three and a half lengths to uh, Kara Mocha in sixth. On the inside is OK Honey. And then we come back to Shane's pretty lady. And out first is last as they go around the far turn. The quarter win in 22 and two-fifth seconds. Beautiful Karen on the inside and 
Honey Money on the outside, and the two of them are right together with Chasing Cara, chasing those front two in third. Then it's behind the couch, running in fourth. Kelly Magic towards the rail in fifth. The half one in 45 and three. And now there's an eighth of a mile to the finish. And it is Honey Money with the lead over Beautiful Karen. Honey Money in front. Beautiful Karen is second. And Chasing Kara is third. Honey Money, one by two. And the number five, Honey Money, gets it done. 7-10, the winning mutual. 78 for the winning buyer. Nice pick, Marshall. Yeah, no, you know, Honey Money got the trip that I wanted. Um, Jose Ortiz definitely got the stocking position behind the leader that, that I was really looking for. You know, um, going back to your comment about the fact that Honey Money was a proven loser, you know, I tend to forgive efforts that were with other trainers. Um, so um, in, in this instance, you know, um, uh, Linda Rice had trained this horse for, you know, one, two, three, four, five, four um, allowance N1X races. Um, and then the horse was claimed and went to Jonathan Thomas for another two and then um, that then was claimed for Wayne Potts. And so for me, you know, I also think that, uh, you know, all the, all the races that I listed, the horse going from three years old to four and um, being able to, to get into a different barn with a different jockey. I think a lot of that can really shake things up for a horse and especially too with the trip that I expected the horse to get, that was really something that uh, I really focused on when it came to my handicapping. I, I think as well too, when we talk about how the speed favoring has been at Saratoga, I picked two closers. I got burned for it. And I love what you just brought up about going to Wayne Potts barn. I, I guess now looking back at it, even as we talk about this podcast, uh, won the race for Jonathan Thomas in the claiming, then won the first two on fast dirt, for Wayne Potts and law and the money race. I mean, not like you had said with central banker, maybe doesn't like the wet that much. I mean, this one to get another shot. Sure. I mean, it's really the first time at the level for on a fast dirt track. I just, for me, obviously Wayne Potts can get it done. Oh, for 11. Wasn't that inspiring either for me, but this one also liked to win four for 11. So far lifetime, one second, one third. I think overall, when I look at this race, I probably mishandicapped it. And I think that, if I can't come, if I come up with money, honey, and beautiful Karen, these types is you know the horses that should win. I should just pass this race and just overall, it it stinks that it ended the pick five and such like that. But I just can't play the pick five then at that point. I have to figure out how to make money somewhere else within the card. Let's move on to the third race of this podcast. It is race number eight. It was the Grade One Alfred G Vanderbilt six furlongs on the dirt. I have a uh, terrible story to tell about this race for me. Would you like in this one, Marshall? Yeah, so for me, this race I thought was pretty tough overall. You know, you you had um, you had a, um, all but a, maybe a couple of these horses that really raced, you know, the same races as far as not only a speed figure is concerned, but racing style was concerned. So for me, it was very hard to determine what kind of the race shape would be. Um, and so because of that, I, I wanted to go with what I felt was the speed of the speed. And that was the number two, Mischievous Alex for Savvy Joseph. You know, going back, two back to that Carter. 
you know, 109 buyer speed figure and even going four back to the optional claiming 62 where the horse had ran 103 buyer, both of those races would absolutely put away the rest of this field. Um, you know, the Met Mile, the horse was not able to get out to the lead right away. And so because of that, you know, I felt that that, that you know, chasing the leader trip was not what Mischievous Al- uh, um, uh, could win. You know, I felt that two back and three back in the true north and the run happy that, you know, those two races definitely from a speed figure standpoint could easily get this, get the job done. And from a pace figure standpoint could, could contend with mischievous Alex. Um, so therefore, because of those two, my top pick was the number nine special reserve. Looking back to the last two races, this horse has really improved. Um, going to six, going back to six furlongs after the Commonwealth, you know, not only winning the the Maryland Sprint, but the Iowa Sprint as well, Perry Meadows, um, but really doing it in impressive fashion, not having to have the lead, being able to sit off of it, and just wearing down the foes, um, you know, just just really kind of grinding out wins, and I and I thought that because the the first two that I mentioned could really um, wing it on the front end potentially, um, and, and especially races that I could kind of poke holes in. Um, I, you know, my top pick definitely had to be the, the number nine special reserve, um, you know, thinking, uh, about closers, you know, there, there is no horse that is cooler right now than Whitmore. This eight year old has been as hard knocking as hard knocking gets, especially running 104 buyer speed figure in the British cup sprint, you know, hasn't really returned to be the same horse um, since then, but has really put in some real workman performances against some of the top horses in the sprint division, like CZ rocket and Flagstaff. So um, for me, um, I, I liked special reserve and I like Whitmore in this race. I mean, we're exactly one, two and, I think for me, when we just look back at this race, mischievous Alex, I mean, I'm one who, you know, talks about the bounce factor a lot. 103, 99, 109, the layoff, and then a 98. I mean, this horse should run somewhere in the hundreds. I would have, I would imagine this race for me. I just, the price for this type of field. And I mean, he was almost, he was seven to two for the, for the metropolitan mile, which everyone thought was going to be amazing. And so far out of that race, there's two horses, uh, obviously Nick's go, one with a 113 buyer, and uh, the fifth-place horse came back and won a great three with a 101 buyer. I think that was the Ohio Derby winner. Um, I just didn't want this one in this race. I thought this race was very contentious, and I just didn't want a horse at sub-2-1 to one in this type of race. Forenze Fire, I get it. People say he's a Belmont horse. Other key people in the industry say he's just a good horse. Uh, I think he's a Belmont horse until I see any differently. Obviously, in some very, very terrific form for Kelly Breen, I did not like the fact that we saw a 103, a 105, and then a little bit of a decline to a 98. I get it was a slow pace, and you can't run real quick speed figures in slow-paced races. I get that 100%. But for me, just one that I was totally avoiding was Forenze Fire. So I end up on Whitmore, and I I think for me, it's just I've seen Whitmore run too many times where he just wins a la the Breeders' Cup Sprint. I played him in the last few Breeders' Cup Sprints and didn't win, and then I don't play him here at 18-1, to he beats me. And Special Reserve, I just thought, out of the last two races, the 100 and the 101, uh, and for how hot Maker's been, I just thought this one with Joel, I thought was a very spicy pick. Obviously, only second choice at th- uh, seven to two or three to one, but 
one I wanted. And let's talk about my oddball pick, Lexitonian. All right. Horses two for three on hitting the board in grade ones out of the Bing Crosby, the forego, and the Churchill Down Stakes. In the last two races, he's come out of two key races. In the Churchill Down Stake, the grade one, uh, two key win- uh, two winners so far. The winner came back to run second in a grade two, improving six points to a one one. Six has won three straight listed stakes with medium nine with medium ninety buyers, and seventh came back to win a grade two with a ninety nine, ten plus improvement. This horse is supposed to improve. Runs terrible in them at mile, and I get it. Now they get back to a sprint. This is the only route, quote-unquote, on the horse's card. If you toss that race out, which we know in the last three or four years has been the toughest race, this horse fits at a 20-to-1 morning line. Because the buyers are slow, yes, but this horse can hit the board, and at 34-to-1, I think you just you need to take a shot. And for me, I just decided... Whitmore and uh, Special Reserve deserve to be Dutch, and I left this horse off in what might be, at this point, too, having lost the last six races after winning the opener, I think my confidence was just shot, and I just was I was chasing and looking for a win instead of really just using my, my proper odds board to really play the race properly. So for me, it is it's really a, a mixed, uh, not a mixed bag, but a consensus idea of for me and Marshall with Special Reserve and Whitmore. Let's see who can win this grade one. Right now. And they're off. A good beginning for a mischievous Alex out for the lead along with Special Reserve. Lexitonian now moves up and there is Strike Power. Lexitonian with the lead. Strike Power runs in second. Special Reserve is on the outside next in third. And then comes Mischievous Alex, who is racing in fourth. It's three lengths back to Forense Fire in fifth. Three Technique is down on the inside in sixth. Whitmore is next in seventh, followed by Miles Ahead in eighth. And Montauk Traffic is the trailer in ninth. And the opening quarter was run in 22 seconds. On the inside is Lexitonian. In between horses is Strike Power. And on the outside is Special Reserve. It's three lengths. Back to Mischievous Alex, who is racing in fourth, followed by Whitmore and Forenzi Fire. The half in 44 and two-fifth seconds. Here is Special Reserve with a narrow lead over Lexitonian. Whitmore is gaining ground down at the rail. Then comes Strike Power with a 16th to the finish. It is Special Reserve on the inside, Lexitonian, and then Whitmore. Lexitonian comes back on the inside to win it. A huge... And the number one, Lexitonian gets it done. $70 winning mutual. The buyer figure was a very solid 102. I mean, if there was anything that could hurt the day even more for me after losing all the confidence from the last few, this one just hurt even more to see that this was my third choice and it was an easy, easy bet for me at 34 to 1. And I just didn't want to lose another race. So I chased uh, two horses that I thought the public liked a little bit more. And you know the name of the game, Marshall. Being a contrarian is a very positive thing in this race. Yeah, definitely. I I think too that the beginning of the race really, um, really changed the complexion of the entire race, right? So, um, ultimately, mischievous Alex and Friends of Fire were expected to be the leaders um, going into the first turn, and they weren't. That that was not the case. Um, you had the number nine uh, special reserve. Um, whom does possess some speed, but not nearly the speed of Mischievous Alex nor Friends of Fire on the lead. Um, and, and from that standpoint, that that really screwed up my race design as a whole in what I 
thought um, the trip that Special Reserve was going to get. Um, that that really didn't do me any bit of good there. Um, you know, Lexitonian, obviously you were saying your cases for the horse. For me, Lexitonian needed to improve and needed to improve quite a bit. You know, even looking at the, the best speed figure that this horse had, had ever ran, which is a 98 buyer speed figure, um, which was ran, uh, um, what, um, October 4th of 2019 in the Phoenix. Um, the horse hasn't ran anything that I felt was going to be competitive over the past two years. Um, so for me, I didn't want the horse. 30 to 1, I thought, was probably pretty requisite of the horse's chances to win. Because uh, looking too back at the Churchill Downs uh, sprint in the grade one, uh, that 95 buyer speed figure wasn't going to do it. And that effort wasn't going to win this race. So for me, uh, I, I had Lexitoni in their knees, but I definitely did not have this horse on top. You know, obviously, Mischievous Alex out of this race was by, by far the most, um, uh, the most, um, enigmatic horse uh, of the race. The horse didn't break. There was literally nothing there, and the horse really didn't fire. Um, I suppose I can cross that race out, but I don't understand what you know what happened with this horse. The horse had been fairly consistent coming into this race, and all of a sudden, boom! There was literally nothing there. So um, we'll definitely have to see how Mischievous out come out of the race. Friends, a fire running up against true grade one company has really never done well enough to win. Um, and this race was another way to prove that, right? Um, so overall, um, those two horses were, were, you know, kind of oddballs and, and Lexitonian coming in. I mean, kudos to you for, for being able to find that horse through a sea of darkness but i mean overall i thought this race was pretty hard considering that a lot of these horses had ran similar races and ran similar figures and it definitely was much more than just a single and move on sort of event i think so too just looking real like just talking you know the the main key for, at least for me in handicapping is finding the right contenders i found three they ran one two three i bet second and third just a complete and total brain fart on my part and what could have Brought back uh, a, a raging day for me, just uh, a mistake on the old noodle and just, you know, a, a lack of self-confidence in the handicapping. Mischievous Alex, for me, I think it's interesting. Just uh, the three wins this year also at sub-even money. The last two races he's been above even money. Not that that should matter much. I, the, the, this race, I mean, he, he stalked to win the, the grade three-year, or he was right off the pace by a length, but in the Carter, he was two and a half off. I mean, he seemed like he was about two and a half off in this race and just for some reason just had nothing left in the tank. I almost wonder if maybe this horse might be going a little bit backwards after these first couple of races. I mean, second off the layoff, third off the layoff in the form cycle is usually the best. Safi has been uh, not at his usual standards, though, at Saratoga. So very interesting. Maybe this is a kind of horse that if the barn is doing bad, the horses won't perform. And when the barn is doing well, the horses you know, one of the top sprinters in the country. Let's move on to the last race of this podcast. Race number 11 was an open 25,000 claimer. What were your thoughts in this one, Marshall? Yeah, so to, to definitely close all the picks, um, I for me, I was very, very strong on the number seven, Tis a Runner. Um, not only did, did we get Mike Maker, but we got Gerard Ortiz, 
Um, this horse last time out was second by a scant neck in a claiming 25,000 at Churchill Downs on good turf. Um, for me, I knew that the turf was going to have maybe a little bit of give in it. It certainly wasn't going to be as firm as as a couple years ago um, when when the track was just bone dry and it was, you know, like Gulfstream Park, just pavement. Um, so for me, you know, I really liked his runner closing into us. What was a slow pace that race too. Um, and, you know, coming second, second off of, you know, a brief freshening. Yeah. I really thought that this horse could, could definitely improve off that last effort. And I thought any, any improvement off of that race was good, definitely good enough to get the job done. Um, my second choice in this race was the five, the last zip. Um, again, Mike Maker, Tyler Gaffrione has had an okay meet, nothing necessarily to write home about, but has done fairly well um, so far at Saratoga. Uh, that last effort on June 10th in the claiming through 35,000 B, you know, the horse was able to um, definitely dispatch that that group of 35,000 claimers, you know, basically stalking the pace and being able to pull away in the end with Luis Saez. Um, uh, uh, in, in the saddle, you know, the, the one thing that really kind of separated me between those two horses, the fact that Luis Saez didn't come back on that horse. Um, and, I, and I really didn't know why, um, when, when you kind of live by the musical jockey theory, uh, then you kind of die by it as well. And so when looking at it, you know, um, Luis Saez ended up jumping on the 10 sharp prospect for Joe Sharp. Uh, you know, uh, Luis Saez had never ran on this horse before, only Gabriel Saez has. And so it was definitely kind of interesting to see that that change um, for, for Luis Saez. So for me, I was I was really, really high on the seven and only like the five underneath. Um, the other horse that I could even contemplate in this race was the the number eight, which is hieroglyphics for Dominic Chitino, you know, obviously Chitino had claimed off of Mike maker and Mike dub as the owner, which is never necessarily a winning combination, but I just thought that the horses back races, not only the claiming 25,000, but looking at the Emerald stakes and the option claiming 62, really, really kind of fit in this race. Um, you know, you can definitely cross out the, the, the two mile H Allen Jerksons on the turf. And, and so for me, uh, those were the only three horses that I need. I mean, we'll talk about the favorites real quick. Number three, Morocco for Safi Joseph, obviously coming off the claim, uh, jumped the horse up a little bit. Gulfstream park did not run anywhere near as well. And I think just for the fact that what we just saw a couple of races ago with mischievous Alex, I just didn't want any part of this horse. Also Javier Castellano, not having the best meet in route distances as well was something that I didn't really want to do. Sharp prospect ended up going off as the actual favorite. And for me, just when you look at a horse like this for Louis size, et cetera, I mean, 85 was the winning buyer last time out this horse, uh, had one as the favorite. I just thought it was interesting to go from an optional 40 into X obvious was in, was in for the claim as well. Ends up in a 40 here. I just thought it was a weird move. I don't think a lot of Indiana shippers have been doing too well at this meet along with Monmouth shippers. I ended up on mandate on the outside Dylan Davis. He's kind of been the, my long shot jock of the last two weeks. He's had four runners each week hit the board at 10 to one or more, which I think is super interesting. Uh, Wayne Potts 
beat me a couple of races ago, so obviously he's off the duck. And I just thought out of the last few races, the 40, then the drop to 25, but we saw improvement. And I mean, they claimed this horse for 25, and now the horse ends up right back kind of at the same level, two races in a row. We saw the 83. I thought this one fit just fine. Obviously, the outside draw is difficult, but, you know, Dylan's been riding very, very well this meet, even though he has an under 10% winning percentage. I just think that a lot of people just look at these jocks and they toss the horse immediately. And we all know that Dylan, you know, can show his worth at a, at a great at a great meet, you know, at Aqueduct. He'll be, you know, 20% or so. Obviously, all the other jockeys are missing. But I think I think Dylan had a good shot in this race, and the number, number 11 mandate was the one for me. The one for Marshall was the number seven, Tiz a Runner. Let's see how we can finish off this Saturday at Saratoga right now. And they're off. The last zip, and from the outside, Sharp Prospect. Sharp Prospect and the last zip. And the two of them are heads apart for the early lead with the gray bird's eye view sitting just off of them in third. And then down on the inside is a clear vision who is racing in fourth alongside is Morocco in fifth is a runner is next in sixth and then it is counter offer who's running in seventh it's a break of two to the Tory kin on the outside is a mandate as the field moves up the back stretch also at the back is Acker the quarter in 24 and three fifth seconds the last zip Leads here by three-quarters of a length. Sharp Prospect on the outside runs in second with bird's eye view. Tracking in third. On the outside is Morocco next in fourth, followed by Clear Vision in fifth. And Tizer Runner is in sixth. Now on the outside, Acker has moved up several spots to take seventh. Counter Offer is in eighth. And Vittori Kin and Mandate. The half went in 49-2. and two. It's the last zip. And Sharp Prospect. They've been 1-2 right from the start. They've got two lengths on Bird's Eye View in third. Then Morocco, followed by Tizza Runner. Clear Vision is down towards the rail. Acker's on the extreme outside. Three-quarters in one thirteen and 4 It's the last zip. And Sharp Prospect. They are 1-2 inside the eighth pole. Clear Vision is now coming on on the outside. The last zip. Has a new challenger here in clear vision. They come on for the finish. The last zip in clear vision. The last zip held on. And the number five, the last zip, gets it done. 16-20, 86 buyer. Uh, really like the way Tyler rode this race. Just a super solid ride. Uh, Mike Maker in the finale again. Tell me if you haven't heard that story before. Yeah, it definitely was a, was a great ride by Tyler Gaffione to, to sit behind the leaders and and really, really, when the real running started, this horse accelerated quick. Um, you know, obviously looking back at it, you know, the, the horse that came out of those claiming 35,000 races, which was definitely uh, the, one of the bigger drops in this race, and especially considering that the horse won at that level. You know, I really think that, that was something that, uh, that I should have focused on uh, for the number five, um, the last zip. So I, I really think that that was something that, had I thought about it, probably should have reversed my picks and went five seven instead of seven five. But uh, but yeah, you know that's that's why we redboard these. I will say again, uh, the number two clear vision for how bad Eric's been. I mean, listen, I'm not, I'm not jockey bashing one for forty six is what I had for him as of Saturday. Not good, solid second at eighteen to one. 
I agree with you. I mean, just when you when you look at the horses, you know, the last zip coming out of that thirty five thousand beaten clamor with the W. I mean, Maker's coming here. He's coming here with fit horses. He's coming here with horses in form. And I mean, when you're twenty percent plus on, you know, dirt sprint, or I'm sorry, uh, dirt turf sprinting and routing. I mean, he he's here to stay. And I think that you know, Ch- Chad going off to the to the slow start. I think this meet's going to be very very interesting. For for, for my pick, uh, mandate just bottom board finish nine to one seventy seven came back for the buyer. Just one uh, that I think. Wayne Potts, I think there's a reason they kept him at the 25,000, even with that second by a neck last time out and didn't move him up a bit. So maybe you want to look forward uh, in the claiming game is when Wayne, you know, if a horse runs well and kind of stays at the same level, you know, maybe you're not going to see that same big performance next time out. That is all the time we have for today's podcast. I want to thank my special guest, Marshall Storing, for coming on after that long, long drive back from Saratoga. Where can people find you on social media, Marshall? And when are we going to get that next dang weather report for Saratoga? Hey, well, uh, you can find me at G1 Handicapping on Twitter. Um, and the next weather report will be the next uh, the next race day. You know, like I said, for those listeners listening ahead, it looks like this this week will be, you know, really quite a, a really nice week as far as racing is concerned. Make sure that on Sunday you're prepared for those MDOs. I want to thank all the wonderful listeners for listening to this podcast and the rest of the shows on the In The Money Media Network. This show is my production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Pierre Thomas Forentale. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin, and our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.